You're listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast, episode 46. Well, it's officially the last episode of 2018, and so I thought I'd take a look back on the books that I've read that have had an impact on me over the last year. We'll call it my top 10 reads of 2018, and additionally, there's some bonus information at the end, a warning about how you go about purchasing books, and some advice on ways to pick up new books in 2019. As always, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this last monologue of 2018. Before we get to my list of top reads from 2018, I wanted to say thank you to all the Pastor Writer listeners. I posted the first episode of the Pastor Writer podcast in January of 2018. That means it's been a year, and the audience has grown from a handful of downloads on that first episode to now more than 30,000. The podcast has been one of the best decisions I've made. It's been such an honor to get to interview guests, some of my favorite authors and writers like Carl Vaders and Pete Scazzaro and Karen Swallow Pryor and Mick Silva. I've learned so much about writing from each of them, and I know a lot of you have too. Besides getting to meet some of these authors, I've also been able to get to know a lot of the listeners, and I think that's been some of the most enjoyable part. We all know the big name authors, but the podcast has helped me discover that there are hundreds of faithful writers out there pursuing their craft, producing some amazing writing. Many we'll never know of, but they're faithfully doing what God has called them to, and there's a real gift in that. So thank you for a great year, for so many great conversations I've been able to have with you, and to so many more that are coming up in 2019. So without further ado, my top 10 reads of 2018, with one caveat. Not all of these books were published in 2018, but I did read them, or in some cases, reread them in the past year. These are the books that had the biggest impact on me and my thinking in 2018 in no particular order. Book number one, Leap Over a Wall, Earthy Spirituality for Everyday Christians by Eugene Peterson. Peterson deserves a featured place on this list. It's hard for me to look back on a year that didn't include an impactful Eugene Peterson book. With his passing this year, it's been a gift to hear so many reflect on the impact he has had on their lives. Peterson has inspired and shaped my image of pastor and writer probably more than any other person. Leap Over a Wall is not one of Peterson's most referenced books, but it's one of my favorites. The book is a reflection on the life of David and its implications for what Peterson calls earthy spirituality. It was actually a reread for me as I preached through First and Second Samuel earlier this year. The book takes its title from Psalm 1829, which in Peterson's message reads, Suddenly, God, you floodlight my life. I'm blazing with glory, God's glory. I smash the bands of marauders. I vault the highest fences. There it is, that last line, which he translates in the title, I leap over a wall. What Peterson is describing is a cry of life. I leap over a wall for God's glory. Peterson once said the publishers hated the title. It does probably take too long to explain, but it captures the book well. David alive, human, every man. As the dusk jacket reads, of all the characters in the Bible, it is David who is most human. His life is lived on the rough edge actuality of real life, and his relationship with God is an energetic one. Through the passions and trials and the lyrical poetry of his beloved figure, we gain powerful insight into the role of God in our own lives or take this endorsement for the book. In this inspirational volume, Professor Eugene H. Peterson, translator of The Message, uses stories from David's epic life as vivid lessons in everyday faith and spirituality. 
exploring David's experiences of friendship, grief, love, sin, and suffering, as well as sanctuary, beauty, and wilderness, he reawakens us to the enduring truths behind these beloved stories. Peterson rescues the David story from typical, sentimental cliches. Rather than reducing David down to principles, Peterson explores a world far larger for having spent time reading it. These days, we need help recognizing what is real, what is true, and what's worth investing our attention in. Leap Over a Wall is just the book we need for that endeavor. Number one, Leap Over a Wall. The second book, On Reading Well, Finding the Good Life Through Great Books by Karen Swallow Pryor. I can't open Twitter these days without someone expressing their love for the book On Reading Well. I think it's a book we've all been needing. Karen reflects on the classic virtues and the good life found through classic literature. But the book is more than that. It's equal parts introduction to the classics while simultaneously tapping into a world where people still think deeply about virtue itself. It's a world we all wish we had better access to, and Karen helps us discover it. Maybe the best compliment for the book is the way it shaped my reading after having read it. There's books coming up on this list, probably because I was motivated by Karen's book. Take this quote from the book. Indeed, there is something in the very form of reading, the shape of the action itself, that tends towards virtue. The attentiveness necessary for deep reading, the kind of reading we practice in reading literary works as opposed to skimming news stories or reading instructions, requires patience. The skills of interpretation and evaluation require prudence. Even the simple decision to set aside time to read in a world rife with so many other choices competing for our attention requires a kind of temperance. The book is masterfully written, wise and carefully considered, tasteful, and yet still passionate. Read it, and I'm sure it will not disappoint you. Book number three, The Complete Stories of Flannery O'Connor. This was the year I worked my way through Flannery O'Connor's short stories. Trying to describe O'Connor is a challenge. She was a Southern American writer in the mid-20th century, deeply motivated by her Christian faith, but not always in explicit ways. Her writing is often labeled Southern Gothic for its twisted and flawed characters forced into sinister situations but no darker than real life. They are stories about sin, brokenness, darkness, about humanity, and the masterful ways in which grace finds its way into each of those stories. The collection of her short stories is perfect for your bedside table. You can make it through a story before turning off the lamp and then spend the rest of that night lying awake for another 45 minutes trying to come to terms with what you've just read. For pastors, I think O'Connor should be required reading. Give it a shot and let me know what you think. Number four, Virgil Wander, a novel by Leif Inger. In some ways, 2018 has been my year of fiction. For most of my adult life, I've had my head in theology books. I knew the classics were a stream of wisdom I had yet to tap into. And while Virgil Wander is not a classic, it was released in October of this last year with a lot of excitement considering it's been 10 years since Leif Inger has released a new novel. It does have many things about it that I think put it in the category of deep reading. A special thanks to Jeremy Wrightball for pointing out on Twitter the recommendation. It was based on his recommendation that I first picked up this book, and I loved it. It should be required, like Flannery O'Connor, for all pastors. There aren't any pastors in the story itself, but its pace and its attention to character is a textbook for ministers. Here's a synopsis of the story. Midwestern movie house owner Virgil Wander is cruising along at medium altitude when his car flies off the road into icy Lake Superior. 
Virgil survives, but his language and memory are altered, and he emerges into a world no longer familiar to him. Awakening in this new life, Virgil begins to piece together his personal history and the lore of his broken town. With the help of a cast of affable and curious locals, from Rune, a twinkling, pipe-smoking, kite-flying stranger investigating the mystery of his disappeared son, to Nadine, the reserved, enchanting wife of the vanished man, to Tom, a journalist and Virgil's oldest friend, the various members of the P family who must confront tragedies of their own, and to this community returns a shimmering prodigal son who may hold the key to reviving their town. The book is full of warm scenes of family and friends congregating in Virgil's one-screen theater. Imagine instead a church with a steeple instead of a theater with a marquee, and you instantly recognize the pastoral tone of the book. It's a story about recognizing story and all of the common lives of a forgotten town. It's a skill pastors should cultivate, and Virgil Wonder, the novel, is a good first step in doing it. Book number five, The Art of X-Ray Reading, How the Secrets of 25 Great Works of Literature Will Improve Your Writing by Roy Peter Clark. Number five is a craft book. Start with the classics like On Writing Well or Elements of Style, even Roy Peter Clark's earlier book, Writing Tools. But if you find yourself looking for a craft book, a book on writing, unlike some of those others, then The Art of X-Ray Reading is a find. While the book catalogs techniques learned from top writers, it also serves as inspiration. It will make you want to write after reading it, and that's an extremely valuable gift. Here's how one reviewer described it. Any honest writer will tell you this. It's not tricks that make you better at crafting prose. It's reading. Lots of reading. Close reading. X-ray reading. Roy Peter Clark decodes brilliant passages so that we can not so much emulate them, but make our own magic. About halfway through reading this book, I realized that this was a book about hermeneutics, a branch of knowledge normally reserved for the interpretation of scripture. X-ray reading teaches interpretation of great writing. I'm convinced that we could all use some help in recognizing the magnificent quality of our own scriptures as literature, and I actually think this book can help you do that. Read it, and you decide if it belongs on your writing shelf or your biblical studies shelf. Number six, Paul, a biography by N.T. Wright. This book has been a long time coming. I actually picked up my copy while I was at the Mount Hermon Writers Conference this past spring. I'm continually amazed by Wright's ability to jump from technical scholarly writing to deeply personal and spiritual reflection. Paul proves scholarly and approachable in ways that few books can. I focused on Pauline literature in my master's and try to keep up with the discussions, which is hard considering how much has been published on Paul in even the last five years. Wright has been at the center of so much of that. But this book is more than a debate, more than a next step in that discussion. It reads like a biography, which is a testament to Wright's writing skills. Take this quote from the book. When people in churches today discuss Paul and his letters— They often think only of the man of ideas, who dealt with lofty and difficult concepts, implying a world of libraries, seminar rooms, or at least the minister's study for quiet sermon preparation. We easily forget that the author of these letters spent most of his waking hours with his sleeves rolled up, doing hard physical work in a hot climate, and that perhaps two-thirds of the conversations he had with people about Jesus and the gospel were conducted not in a place of worship or study, not even in a private home, but in a small, cramped workshop. Saul had his feet on the ground, and his hands were hardened with labor, but his head still buzzed with scripture and the news about Jesus. 
I read Paul as I preached through the book of Acts this past fall. Wright kept me grounded to the humanity of Paul. The book lives up to all of its anticipation. I can't recommend it highly enough. Number seven, Faith That Matters, 365 Devotions from Classic Christian Leaders. I have a leather chair in the corner of my office, and next to it's a table where I usually keep my Bible and a devotional. It's not always a daily ritual, but most days I end up there for lunch or an afternoon break. Faith That Matters has sat on that table since its release in May. The book compiles reflections from writers such as Frederick Buechner, Brendan Manning, Henry Nouwen, Eugene Peterson, Tozer, Dallas Willard, and N.T. Wright, which is quite a list. You would be right to guess that there's no shallow or trivial pages in that devotional. It's a daily dive into the stream of contemplative spirituality. Take the blurb marketing the book on the back. In today's fast-paced world, it's easy to get lost in a never-ending list of projects and demands. We become distracted with what's urgent instead of what matters most. And in the process, we lose sight of who we are and who God is. Oftentimes, devotional books fall into the category of how do I squeeze in a deep thought in 15 minutes or less? But this book doesn't fall into that category. It really will carve out time in your day for thinking and reflection. Faith That Matters has quickly become one of my favorite devotionals, and not one I anticipate being done with at the end of 365 days. Number eight, The Imperfect Pastor, Discovering Joy in Our Limitations Through a Daily Apprenticeship with Jesus by Zach Eswine. The Imperfect Pastor was published in 2015, but I read it for the first time this past year. It immediately went on my shelf of pastoral recommendations, alongside The Art of Pastoring by David Hansen, Jesus the Pastor by John Fry, and The Pastor by Eugene Peterson. The Imperfect Pastor is a slow read, and I mean that as a compliment. It's not an attempt to lay out pastoral principles. It's a vulnerable and transparent reflection on the brokenness of every minister and the ways in which that shapes our ministry. Zach Eswine has been a guest on the podcast before, and I found him to be as authentic in conversation as he is in writing. Maybe the best way to describe the book is just to read you a passage from it. Zach writes this, At a conference, I preach Christ for you with a hemorrhoid while my book is on sale in the hallway. What is more, I may have seen myself in my child's eye that morning and had to ask for their forgiveness for something the day before. Or maybe I'm still blind as I speak to you regarding what my wife or my children or my congregation still desperately need me to see. When I visited you in the hospital, I had to tie my shoes that morning or figure out which sweater makes me look a bit slimmer, or cry out to God with my own doubts as you hurt, and I have no answer for why. When you've been changed by grace through something I said or wrote, I likely had a bowl of oatmeal for breakfast or enjoyed the sound of the owl that visited our place. Therefore, as we begin to think about desires, we need to cry from the rooftops that pastoral ministry is creaturely. A pastor is a human being. I believe that Christian life and ministry are an apprenticeship with Jesus toward recovering our humanity and through his spirit, helping our neighbors do the same. All of this is for, through, by, with, and in him for the glory of God. Take your time with this book. Pray through it. I needed it, and there's a good chance you probably do too. The last two books on my list are Christian classics. Number nine, Life Together. The Classic Exploration of Christian Community by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 2018 was probably the sixth or seventh time that I've read this little book. 
1954 edition that I have is underlined and highlighted by who knows how many previous readers and is only 122 pages. It's one of the most important books I've ever read, though. I read it just about every year. At what point do the dog-eared pages lose their helpfulness when more pages are dog-eared than not? There's probably no single paragraph that has had a bigger impact on my pastoral vocation than the one on page 22. It reads, He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of brethren. Do you hear how far that is from so much of the leadership advice we're routinely peddled? And Bonhoeffer meant it. The little book was written during his days leading an underground seminary. Life Together is a book every Christian should read at least once, and it's a book I think most pastors should read every year. In a world so void of true community, it's equal part condemnation and inspiration. We all need this book. Finally, Book 10, The Wounded Healer, Ministry in Contemporary Society by Henry Nouwen. The Wounded Healer is also a thin book, but deeply reflective. My favorite parts are the case studies. The book reads like a pastor's handbook, but the case studies are less technique and more confession. Nowen offers an approach to ministry that embraces brokenness and weakness. It's not just the congregant who is in need of healing, but the pastor too. Or as Nowen puts it, the great illusion of leadership is to think that man can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. Or in another place, the beginning and the end of all Christian leadership is to give your life for others. Now in his medicine that I needed, particularly when so much of the advice offered to me as a pastor and a writer advised me to grow a platform and develop my personal brand and cast my vision and inspire influential leaders. Instead, Nowen's humble study of a pastor's visit to a hospital reminds me, as he puts it, Jesus was a revolutionary who did not become an extremist since he did not offer an ideology, but himself. Don't let the size of the book fool you. It may be small, but it's worth real time. All right, now for a little bonus. I want to offer you a warning about buying books and my advice on how to go about buying them in 2019. Maybe even some of the ones that are on this list. But first, the warning. I have a lot of books, enough that I'm already starting to feel a little bit stressed about someday having to move all of them. I love buying books. But I've started recognizing a trend I don't think is a good one. Buying books can become a placebo for actually reading them. I don't think I'm alone in this. Having books on a shelf doesn't mean you've read or garnered any of the wisdom in them. The power is in the words, not the covers. One of my resolutions is to continue reading more than I did the year before. But ironically, that may actually mean buying less books. I want a well-stocked mind and not just a well-stocked shelf. So it means I'm going to be more strategic about what I buy and try to seed through the process of actually reading them. So as I look to 2019, here's some thoughts on buying books. Number one, consider a book budget. This may only apply if you're a pastor or a ministry leader, but one of the greatest gifts that my church offers is a book budget. 
Currently, I'm allotted $100 a month for buying books. Now, the majority of that goes to commentaries and sermon preparation, but I can usually fit in a ministry-related book as well. You could always start off with a smaller amount, but a book budget might be just the thing you need to improve your reading in 2019. Number two, sell some books to buy new books. I know that is a hard thing to do, to let go of books, but there are plenty of them on my shelf that I'll probably never pick up again. Even if I got a fraction of what I paid for them, it can still add up to the price of new books I want to purchase. There's a great used Christian bookstore in my city that'll actually buy back used books, offering credit in the store to buy additional books. I actually have a family member who buys up books at garage sales as a gift for me. He calls them trade bait, knowing that I'll take them in, trade them in, and purchase other books that I'm interested in. More than half of the books on my shelf are used books, and buying used books is a great way to be able to get a hold of new ones. Number three, audiobooks. Here's where I know I will lose the purists, but I love audiobooks. Probably one of the reasons I do a podcast as well. Audiobooks allow me to get books in while I'm driving or mowing or jogging or even sometimes while I work. Recently, my wife and I have gotten into the habit of sharing my wireless earpods and listening to novels together as we do dishes or pick up the house once the kids have gone to bed. You can sign up for an Audible subscription and receive a new book download every month. That's what I do, and more months than not, I end up buying additional ones. Audiobooks have become a big part of how I go about finding and reading books. Number four, look for book deals. Amazon often has books at incredibly low markdowns, especially if you're willing to buy them digitally on Kindle. Barnabas Piper is a good follow on Twitter if you're looking for these deals. He oftentimes posts them, and I'll have a link to them in the show notes. Those are my four tips. Probably you'll buy less books and do more reading, but consider a book budget, sell some of the books you have to buy new ones, consider audiobooks, and look for deals. The only question left going into 2019 is, what are you going to read? I'd love to hear your reading list going into 2019. What kinds of books are you interested in? What new categories are you considering? What are the books you're excited about being released this next year? You can find links to all of the books that I have in my list, as well as any of the links that I've described in my tips by going to the show notes for this episode at pastorwriter.com slash 46. As always, thanks for listening and Happy New Year.